up, beautiful humans? My name is Morgan, and I'm your podcast host. I'm a talk therapist by training and a practicing spiritual entrepreneur. I specialize in Reiki, tarot, and past life regression. In this podcast, I integrate both clinical and spiritual perspectives to best support you on your healing journey. Welcome to The Clinical Spiritualist. Hi, Emily. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm very excited. So let's start with your name, your pronouns, and a little bit about you and your business. Okay. My name is Emily Shoemaker. Uh, My pronouns are she, her. I, uh, um, a little bit about me personally, I have a partner. We've been together for three years. Her name is Megan. Awesome. Um, we have a daughter named Eleanor. Um, and we like to do lots of outside stuff together. Lots of, I started a garden. So that's exciting. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I am a therapist. Mm-hmm. That's my main profession I do other side things just because that's the beauty of therapy is you can do mm-hmm. a lot of things yeah uh, but I have been in practice for four years and then just this last year went into individual practice yeah um I work with adults and um I've kind of found through experience that my sort of like specialty what I really enjoy and also just people that for whatever reason like just are drawn to me mm-hmm. uh, are folks with complex PTSD mm. um religious trauma as well so yeah. that's kind of become my specialty just sort of organically um and also you know I have a really religious background like a really mm. religious upbringing so it's something that I understand on a personal level as well so. yeah Before we get into today's conversation, I wanted to say to you and all the listeners, happy Pride Month. Um, June is Pride Month, so we are celebrating um, in different ways and by talking about some some really serious things as well. So we can have that balance of talking about the serious issues that LGBTQ plus people face and also combine it with celebration this month. So um, happy Pride Month if you were LGBTQ plus. Yay! Um, actually, I think you messaged me about this. This is my first Pride this this weekend. Um, oh, like going festival. to that? Yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. I could have sworn you told me that. And I've been talking to so many people who were, you know, in their 20s, even 30s. And they're like, this is my first Pride. So very excited about that. Me too. Um, so today we are going to be talking about purity culture and religious trauma. Um, so let's just start out in your own terms. What is purity culture and how does it relate to religious trauma? So, okay. Do you mind if we go a little bit historical? Go historical. Yes. Historical context. Okay. Because just with the way my brain works, like Mm -hmm. I like to understand how we got here, why this exists, how it intersects with like, I don't know, society as a whole and politics. Like Mm -hmm. this is an isolated thing. This Mm -hmm. is kind of a web of, I don't know, 
can I say fuckery? Can I, yeah. can I curse on <laughs> Yeah, you can say whatever you need to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, okay, we're going to go back to like 1950s. Um, schools are, you know, legally, schools are no longer allowed to be segregated, although actual desegregation didn't really happen, you know, still schools are segregated, but legally didn't even really happen, like in a formal sense until mm -hmm. like through the 70s and the 80s, like it's been ongoing. So um, Jerry Falwell was a um, televangelist, really popular, like white evangelical figure. Um, and his primary concern and, you know, kind of starting out was keeping schools segregated is really what he wanted to do. That was his main interest. So um, he kind of mobilized this whole political movement, the moral majority. Um, and this was happening, you know, this movement was kind of becoming more formal, like in the 70s. Um, and then some other things that they were in opposition against were um, women having equal rights, gay rights, they were against abortion. Before, before this, really, like abortion doesn't end up as like a hot ticket. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it's not as polarized before the moral majority. Um, and this was kind of spun as like family values. Um, so there's that whole thing happening. Um, and then Reagan gets elected, which really was part of the goal. It was let's elect someone that's kind of on the same page with our beliefs and our values. Um, so they were successful in a lot of those things. And they were also successful in like mobilizing the moral majority, which even though it, the political organization disbanded, we have things like purity culture mm. that have come out of it. So in the 80s, that movement kind of disbanded in a formal way, but we have purity culture that comes out of it in the 90s. So mm. lot the, the main link that I see there is like... Um, the gender roles like the gender binary just being like really really mm. um, concrete I guess um so you know Jerry Falwell was against like women having equal rights equal pay all of that mm -hmm. um and then in purity culture we see women being kind of kept in that position of like subservience so anyways, I think that it's really important to realize that like a lot of this has its roots in racism, in homophobia, in misogyny. Mm. Um, and we see that kind of play out in purity culture and the effects that it has on people. So with all that background given, oh, the other main thing that I forgot was mm -hmm. uh, abstinence only programs mm -hmm. started around that time. Um, and we've had something, it's a crazy number. Um, it's like over $2 billion that our government has spent since the 1980s in abstinence only funding, even though we know that it doesn't accomplish. It's right. Right. It's just, wow. Third. Mm -hmm. But I think it's, you know, people who might not have experienced religion firsthand or, purity culture firsthand have been impacted mm. by all, you know, like we all have, and I'll, I'll go into later some other effects, but our culture has been impacted and, and this moral majority still mm. hold a really large amount of power over 
voting, you know, over politics. So um, we've all been impacted, whether directly Mm -hmm. or kind of indirectly um, by by purity culture, by kind of the the darker side of religion, um, which, which I should say, I guess, just as a caveat, I haven't landed in a place where I'm like, you know, super angry or like hateful about religion. I'm sort of in a neutral place of like it's mm-hmm. all the way that people operate and like what, what you do with it. Um, but yeah, that we've all been impacted by that underside of things, I think. Yeah, I think that's an important note and something I've never thought about is, you know, you think that only people who have been in church are impacted, but then if you think about abstinence only education, being taught to everyone, whether you're religious or not. Yeah. You're, you're very impacted by an agenda that was rooted in religion. That's a very, very good point. And thank you for sharing that history. There's a lot of things that I didn't know that you were saying. Um, and it's just, it's wild to hear it back to me of like the eighties and nineties, like literally not that long ago, just, it just feels like so, um, recent, which makes it even more alarming. Um, Let's talk about how people can experience purity culture or religious trauma differently. So um, implicit versus explicit messaging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I guess I'll start with some of the explicit messaging of purity culture specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, so to sum it up, I guess, in like a sentence, purity culture is founded on the idea that there is a man and a woman, right? So inherently, this is all very gendered, which Mm -hmm. is part of the problem. Um, And sexual purity is the goal. So to remain sexually pure until marriage, marriage is the only thing that constitutes marriage is a man and a woman, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that is kind of like the bread and butter of purity culture. But then it manifests into more of like a misogynistic type of thing because women are really held responsible for Mm. sexual purity like overwhelmingly I mean men are for sure impacted by purity culture as well um but women are the ones that are seen as like it would be called like a stumbling block is Mm -hmm. what you would be referred to um and there's an emphasis on if you dress a certain way, you're leading your brother in Christ into sin. If you, you know, talk a certain way, even that's like deemed to be flirtatious um, or like overly inviting. If you wear makeup that is too bold or seductive, which I don't even know what that would be, but like that is the thinking. Um, so it places just almost all the burden of responsibility on women Mm. um, and really erases non-binary folks, gender fluid folks, it erases trans folks. I mean, it erases everyone who is not, you know, cisgender, heteronormative. Yeah. Um, So a lot of the, the way that the LGBTQIA community influence or is affected is just by not being represented at all or being represented as you know dysfunctional um mm. sinful um so so yeah so those yeah. are the explicit messages mm-hmm. i would say 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would, if you're comfortable and, and I will share as well, maybe some examples of how you grew up um, and how do you remember our purity culture impacting you through explicit messaging? So I um, was given a purity ring mm. when I was, I don't know, 12 or 13. And I remember feeling just so uncomfortable, like just sick to my stomach. Like mm. this is not what like and there was even this in receiving a purity ring there was this acknowledgement of like that I had any type of sexuality at all which made me squirm because Mm. sexuality was talked about as this thing that was to be avoided at all costs and if it was ever talked about in a positive way it's like someday when you're married to a man it will be wonderful but your brain is constantly wiring, avoid this sexual thought, avoid that sexual feeling, avoid this questions about attraction that you have. Um, so yeah, I got a purity ring. I felt just, oh my gosh, just so uncomfortable. Um, both of my parents were there to give it to me. And I love my parents there. I, I love them so much. I feel, you know, like right. it's what they thought was best and they were mm. just doing what they knew, but it was, it was really, really terrible. And then that ring came, became a symbol of like shame. Like Mm. I did have like, you know, you would call them impure thoughts or whatever. It would be there reminding me that like that was bad and wrong and dirty. Um, And then later I, I wore this ring until I was in college and I was having sex by then. I mean, like, with this purity ring that just felt like it was haunted almost. Wow. Um, Like feels funny to me, but also like on, on this side of things, you know, Mm -hmm. but also it's just, yeah, that shame was just like so palpable. Yeah. Um, And I could go Mm -hmm. on, on and on and on. Like, think that shame led to a lot in my life that I wouldn't have experienced otherwise. Yeah. Like I think I was especially vulnerable to unhealthy and abusive relationships mm-hmm. because there was this sort of cycle that was like, well, you're doing this bad thing. And so however you're being treated, that's what you should expect. Like that's what Oof. you deserve because you are doing something that is against God. So that shame, and I mean, I think also not feeling like I could be proactive about my health, which like statistically, we know this is a thing also like increased levels of um, uh, un- unplanned pregnancies mm-hmm. and increased STI, STD mm-hmm. rates mm-hmm. because, oh my gosh, I heard someone describe it as like, if you go out and purchase a condom or get on birth control, it is premeditation for your sin. And for people from religious backgrounds, that will make a lot of sense. Um, It's because the intention is like, I can't, I couldn't possibly, you know, but like, but you do. And then you suffer health consequences. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You. 
you have brought up so many, so many great points. And I think it, it really speaks to how detrimental this is to, to individuals who've experienced this because you talked for a few minutes and I mean, I'm just like imagining a kid, imagining how I felt like it's that. And then it's every day. And then it's all these years. And then it's, you know, it was very impactful. Um, and I know you could speak like for hours as could I, you, yeah, you brought up so many great points. I was thinking that when I started having sex as a teen, I did not feel comfortable going to my mom and and asking to be put on birth control. Um, and so I would go to Planned Parenthood 30 minutes out of my city and I would lie to her and tell her, um, you know, I'm going to a friend's house and I would go to Planned Parenthood and the shame I would feel, but, but the, the fear of, you know, winding up pregnant was more. And so I'm like, I guess this is what I have to do. And then I'm battling like my, you know, my sexuality of, of being attracted and enjoying sex and having consensual sex. Um, and then feeling, you know, and that just traces back to when I was kid, when I was young and I would just, you know, not necessarily be sexually attracted to anyone, but I, you know, started getting aroused as humans do. Um, and I, I would masturbate and I would feel so much shame because I remember being gay was wrong. You're going to hell. Masturbating is wrong and you're going to hell. Um, explicit messaging of that. And so I would, I would masturbate and self-pleasure, um, out of just an innate feeling and, I would feel horrible after I pray after, um, and think that, oh my God, I'm going to hell. Um, but in the same, in the same note, I would have this critical thinking piece of me being like this, the urge that I have is pretty powerful. Like what I feel feels like just so human. Um, how are people controlling themselves? And then I would, as I get older, I'd really critically think about it, still feeling the shame, but like, there's no way pastors aren't masturbating. I would have this thought of like, I don't understand. Like, this is such a human thing. And so it was not until I went to, I remember my first serious boyfriend I had, he asked me if I masturbated and I said, no, out of shame. And out of, you know, it was okay if guys did it. It was not okay if girls did it. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. Oh, it wasn't until I went, went to undergrad my freshman year, I took a human sexuality course. And for extra credit, we were to masturbate and then write about our experience. And I'm like, oh my God, I knew it was normal. I knew it was normal and it was celebrated. And that's really where my unlearning of my sexuality really began. Um, and that's not even, that's like about self-pleasure in my body. That's not even bringing in the fact that I'm queer and I've been queer my whole life and those thoughts that would come up and um, feeling so much shame about that. So that's just like a little bit about my experience, but that's why I'm so passionate about this topic because I don't want kids feeling this way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Do you ever remember anyone talking to you about like pleasure or consent? No, not until I got into college and professors shared with me about that. Yeah, me either. Zero conversation. A huge part of purity culture. It's like, and I'm 
such a danger to it. It's mm-hmm. like you're so in all of the focus on, you know, this myopic focus on like sexual purity. There is no space, or at least for me, there was no space to develop like sexual ethics, which is something that I, you know, only in the last couple of years have really started to learn about and to realize is a possibility for me. Um, yeah, and I think that is such a missed opportunity. And mm-hmm. it makes me so sad, like, to think that I was talked to about sex, but never talked to about consent. Mm-hmm. What? Like, it just, it just blows my mind. And then I think it leads to a lot of of marital rape, like marital assault. It's like, because once you're married, no, no boundaries. I don't know. It makes me really, really sad and dismissing like pleasure as being Mm. like integral to that experience to the sexual experience, not even dismissing it, but like villainizing it as the problem. Mm. You shouldn't be seeking pleasure. That I think is something that takes like so much active healing on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I still unpack things. Like I will have a sexual experience with my partner and I will feel shame. And logically I know the truth and I know what's happening and I know it's a programmed um, you know, thought pattern, but I'm just like, damn it. Like this sucks that if I was raised with different messaging and a more inclusive, safe, consensual environment, I would, I would, you know, I would just be having the time of my life. Um, but that's not the case. And I guess, you know, you grieve that and you heal so that one day it either diminishes completely or it doesn't happen as often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is embodiment something that you have like tried to dive into in your own kind of recovery? Ah, oh, God, I love that you just said recovery because that's something that I've been sitting with is like, I think I don't like personally, I don't think I've given purity culture this, the, the weight of seriousness that it actually has impacted my life. I don't think I said that correctly, but do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I haven't. Yeah. I mean, again, like this has been a learning process for me in the last Mm -hmm. probably, I mean, since coming out, I guess. Mm -hmm. So in the last three years, I think I had to part of my like trying to, divest myself from like internalized homophobia was Mm. intense learning and research and all the resources and like just filling myself with that um but embodiment was something I came across that really resonated with me um because a lot of purity culture and religious trauma in general is rooted in this belief of like don't trust your body don't trust your Mm. desires body is inherently bad um, or is wanting to tempt you, you know? Um, and so that's been something that like I have seen manifest in really random ways, um, like not honoring hunger, like basic physical cues, um, 
that I just almost couldn't hear because I became so kind of dissociated and disembodied. Um, and so practicing that like on a daily basis has been really, really interesting for me. Mm. That, yeah, Let, let's talk about that. Let's talk about um, what are what are some symptoms people can experience when you have, um, you know, religious trauma, specifically with, with purity culture, you, you spoke to not being able to trust your hunger cues. What types of symptoms can show up? Yeah. You mean just kind of in, in general with purity general. culture? Yeah. Okay. Um, so specifically for LGBTQ people mm-hmm. uh, and intersex and, you know, asexual people, all of it, um, there is like a, so there's a higher rate with, you know, in general, if you've experienced religious trauma or purity culture of suicidal ideation, self-harm, um, higher rates of suicide attempts, but that goes up like threefold if you are queer. Um, so there's a much, it's like everything that, you know, everybody else experiences, the queer community has like on volume 10 because of the additional like messaging of this is in any capacity sinful and wrong. Um, So depression, anxiety, people experience PTSD symptoms, um, panic attacks, oftentimes triggered Mm. by anything sexual or even sensual, Um, dissociation, eating disorder rates are higher. Um, So it causes a lot of just mental health burden um and also you know issues with sexual function i mean people experience vaginismus a lot like super commonly um on the other side of purity culture um which which i you know if if people don't know what that is it's like an involuntarily tightening of the vagina um whenever there's any type of like arousal or sexual experience because you've been programmed that that is terrible you know a terrible thing basically um inability to orgasm um chronic pain as well Mm -hmm. um lots of pain disorders and like somatization that i mean really terribly impacts people. I have read accounts of people like going into almost like an anaphylactic shock reaction. I mean, our mind body connection is so, so powerful that like your body will continue to kind of pay for this damage that was done. Um, just so, so sad to me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I just learned a lot there. Thank you for sharing that. I read something I believe it was a sex therapist on Instagram. It was a post. I can't even remember who, but um, it, it really, it's really resonated and stood out with stood out to me that you could have zero sexual, physical sexual trauma, and you will experience symptoms as if you've been in purity culture, as though you have been sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. You know, it is like, it's hard to believe, but it makes so much sense. Makes so much sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it takes a really long time mm-hmm. to do all of that and kind of heal through it. Um, 
I really liked you shared some stuff about like dancing and just physical ways of healing. And I think for, for people who've experienced purity culture, like that practice of like being in your body when you're healing and like mm. healing through movement can be really like especially powerful when a lot of the messaging is coming from like separate yourself from your body yeah yeah you spoke to dissociative states that's that also makes a lot of sense it's this you just have to like not be in your body so that you can survive this messaging that continues on until you know you address it and really heal that um we don't have to go too in depth with this, but I just want to touch so the listeners can maybe feel validated by this, but the way purity culture perpetuates rape culture. Um, oh my gosh. And, and I want to speak to you briefly I, and I won't go into, into depth. So no need to feel like I'm about to say something really triggering. Um, but I did not, the two times that I have been sexually assaulted, I did not realize were sexual assault um, until I went to college and literally learned all of these things and was like, oh my God, um, because this dissociative state was so prominent and I didn't understand what, what, what consent and sexual assault were and, and all of these things. So, and I really blame purity culture and um, sex education, the lack thereof, because I didn't, I didn't understand what happened to me until later, which is such an alarming experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I relate with that so much. Um, I think on an individual level, purity culture perpetuates rape culture and misogyny and internalized misogyny. Mm-hmm. Um, And it's hard on the other side of even recognizing, okay, that was assault, that was not consensual. It's hard to undo the aftermath of all the victim blaming narrative that you've heard of, you know, if anyone is tempted into sin or whatever, it is because of the way that you presented yourself. I mean, Mm -hmm. victim blaming is inherent in purity culture. So it's just, yeah, it's so hard to untangle. Yeah. Yeah. How can therapists or, you know, people working with this population support clients and LGBTQ plus clients who have been through purity culture and are um, survivors of that? Yeah. I mean, I guess my first, my first reaction is like education, you know, if it's something that you haven't experienced personally as um as a therapist or like a support person um trying to do a little bit of education so that you are familiar with what that person is talking about because it can seem really like a whole different world if you grew up completely outside of it Mm. Um, and I think it better equips us to be able to offer like validation and empathy um And then that's the second part of it, just validating that person's experience and Mm -hmm. how they're feeling about it. I mean, so much of the mechanism of the way purity culture controls is shame and guilt. 
and to just sit there and let someone you know share their story and to give that validation is like the remedy to to shame you know not like a cure-all but you know over time with enough you know people I think like the goal is to eventually create you know start with one person that is trusted and hopefully there's a community that survivors can find where they can get that sort of validation opportunity to like safely tell their story um yeah um I think also practicing you know trusting your own intuition and embodiment are major things that that I work on with my shoulders of religious trauma and purity culture um like coming up with tangible real life ways to trust your own decision making trust your own intuition Mm -hmm. um, get into your body again those are kind of some of the things that I focus on with clients yeah I'm definitely gonna going to look into embodiment more um because I definitely think that there is more for me to focus individually um healing wise is there anything else that you want to add or share before we um, wrap up today? Yeah, um, there are, I guess I just want to pass along resources that have been helpful to me. Yeah. On my own. Um, Linda K. Klein has a book called Pure. Um, and she also has a, a foundation. I think it's like Breaking Free Together. Um that is about purity culture, its impact, healing from purity culture. Um, Jamie Lee Finch has a book called You Are Your Own, and she really focuses a lot on embodiment. She's who I learned embodiment from. Um, And then there's also a Religious Trauma Institute. I believe the person that founded is Dr. Marlene Winnell. Um, And there's a lot of really good information and resources there. So I would say, you know, if you are a person that has had any experience with this, or you're wanting to support people that mm. have had religious trauma experiences, um, those would be some good resources to start with. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I'm, I'm definitely going to look into those and I'll include that in the um, podcast show notes as well. Um, as you were talking a little bit ago, I was getting a little bit choked up Um this conversation just has meant a lot to me today. Um, and I was not expecting that. So thank you for it being a guest. And I, may, I may cut this out because I'm an ugly guy, but um, thank, thank you for, for being here and um, doing your work and helping others do their work so we can all heal and grow together. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, as I was thinking about, you know, preparing for today, um, I was kind of reflective on like getting to the point where I'm able to talk about this, not only to like my best friend, but also to like other people Yeah, and being able to kind of feel like I can use my experiences um, to hopefully offer someone else like validation. Yeah. Well, I know you'll do that with, um, the followers, but you did that with me. So thank you for being here. And, um, I really appreciate it. Of course. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. I'm going to stop it now.